What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Shield. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, SHIELD, the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. SHIELD's activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. A man can value his parents, but in the end, it's all about the values your parents give you. What if you had the chance to see your parents again? But from the time that they were young, what if you could save their lives, save the day and dash boldly into the future, except that they aren't your parents. The future is truly in doubt and you are alone, unsure even if you're supposed to be alive in a crazy, twisted past that has an uncertain pathway to some future, but will it be the future you know? There's a lot that weighs on everyone's mind inside this episode. There are heroes, there is snark, there is tradition, and there is survival. It's all just the smallest part of this episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. A complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, Season 7, Episode 6, Adapt or Die. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, it's good to have you. Let's jump into some quick housekeeping. It's hot. Nick, they mentioned the 4th of July inside this episode. It just so happens that this is, as we record this, the 4th of July weekend Mm -hmm. for 2020. And it is so hot outside. It's, It's become that muggy, oh my God, you gotta be kidding me, we're in Missouri hot already. Oh, yeah. And it's the bellwether of many places, especially in the United States, for July. But I wanted to remind everybody that you need to be careful about exertional heat stroke. The details and symptoms of which are all detailed inside a podcast from Dr. Mark Halstead recently. It'll give you all kinds of detail that I'm telling you, anybody that's in any kind of heat, and not just, oh my God, 110 in the desert heat, but just, you know, a standard 90 degree day walking down a street. The, the impact and the symptoms of what exertional heat stroke is, is something everybody should know. You can find out all that information over at his podcast. It's the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast over at HealthyYoungAthletePodcast.com. It's a great episode. A much more satisfying wedding. For those of you that have tuned into the Curious Goods podcast, a podcast where Nick and I actually review each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, we just got done 
publishing a, another wonderful episode that features another wedding uh, of a much more satisfying kind, for sure. Uh, yes, for some strange reason, in its second season, it decided it wanted to have two episodes back-to-back with <laughs> wedding in its title. Yeah. Whereas the first one was kind of obscure, and the whole wedding thing kind of really didn't make sense. The title didn't make sense. Whereas in the second one, uh, it totally made sense. It didn't feel like it made sense until you actually got halfway through the episode. But uh, they, they can't all be winners, Mike. True. Because if they were all winners, the show would be known by everybody and not just a small circle of devoted fans. Yeah, yeah, too true. Uh, anyway, it's, it's a great episode. You can listen to that right now over at that website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. If you have any interest at all or even a glancing memory of Friday the 13th, the series, you know, the, the, the show about the cursed antiques, not the whole stabby knife teenagers having sex thing. It's the, it's the cursed antiques. Be sure you go check that out again. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Nick, enough of housekeeping. Let's jump in with both feet into this episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7, Episode 6, Adapt or Die. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, Blogger's Bug, and the St. Charles Office Center. X-Tendrils appear. Now, this didn't have uh, what I would call a remarkable title card this time, denoting in any particular time or era. It was kind of a standard Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. card that popped up. Yeah. But what was very interesting at the front end of it and made me start thinking, okay, well, which, which era are we going to see now? And what I saw and what I thought we were going to get was something in the late 90s into 2000 because what we see is kind of the DNA strands that was featured inside the original X-Men film. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see how you can make that comparison. What was missing, though, was anything kind of exactly 90s slash into 2000-esque music. There wasn't anything different. It was very much the standard music filler in stuffs of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So uh, I guess they got us, meaning we were looking for something and we're going to miss it because it's not there. Or there wasn't there to be anything there to begin with and you're trying to read something into it. Waking the Hunters. This was awesome. At first, I thought this might have just been some sort of CGI goonery going on, but then as we continue to see it throughout the episode, my goodness, have they manufactured a set that is, like, to die for inside this scene. Oh, well, well I, I'm pretty sure it's probably a marriage of the two. It's probably practical sets, then you, you add on a little bit of the CGI to make it look bigger than it actually is. But it is quite impressive. And it does set up the stakes mm, for true. the episode, especially after you've watched the episode and, and know everything that's that transpires in it. You look at that opening scene and it really does hit home how screwed everybody was in this episode. Yeah. You know what I liked even more was that we are not just dealing with a couple of chronicoms that jump through time. You know, the cop. Yeah. And the scientist. And that's it. That's not it. No. And uh, as you stated, the, the stakes are incredibly high because you can see that there's a whole lot of nothing good going on here. And uh, again, the expanse inside of that room, I thought that that was tremendous. The visuals for the Hunters and the Zephlorian were killer. 
I know I've already talked about the visuals for the the hunters cocoons or the 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 things that look like they were essentially lifted from aliens the the time sleepy capsules right again it might just be that it harkens back to that movie because in that movie those were awesome as well mm-hmm. uh, everything that when the when the colonial marines are waking up all that stuff is still awesome my god it's over thirty years ago that that happened uh, but then the the Zephlorian just flying through the air the visuals are really magnificent in this show I. I realize it's the last season, and so let's let's blow the money. Thank you for blowing the money. All right, it, it definitely shows. Even just a pass of the Zephlorian inside of this was was tremendous. I don't know what happened where their budget was concerned when they went from twenty two episodes to thirteen episodes. I mean, in my mind, they should have the same amount. Their their budget should be the same. You cut the episode count down, and you can up the production value. I've been saying that for a while. Mm-hmm. And th- these past two seasons with the shorter season uh, episode count, I I really think that the they're putting the money to best use where these effects are concerned. Stoner is chill AF. Something that we'll continue talking about inside this episode is stoner's incredibly stony face and chill inside inside this entire episode and what i really uh, i started to like as i got toward more towards the end of the episode is that because he's so stony you're not entirely sure he's human Mm. and it was fun for them to play the weaving game of the what if and or we do see him then eventually ushered into the elevator and then what happens right and i i i love the little play that they gave us there but throughout the entire episode especially in the latter portion of the episode stoner is chill man just like you got to be kidding me chill well this is even before they they introduced the concept of the chronicoms being able to copy human emotion at this point in time it's just this is stoner this is he handles good news just like he handles bad news uh, you know, monotone and completely calm, cool, and collected. Uh, yeah, when the missiles start start flying, yes, he's he 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 shouts a little bit, mm-hmm. but there still is no there there really is no difference to his his yeah. tenor mm-hmm. when it comes to either talking about what he had for lunch or invading you know, Latveria. You know, it it, it he's yeah. he is a very even keeled character, which makes the character even more interesting because all we got was like little snippets in season five from from the videos that we would see Mm -hmm. and now we're actually getting to see a version not the version that we would hope to know but a version of general stoner and it's 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 fun because it's patrick wolverton playing a character and just seriously playing a character when he does a character I mean, he just does it. Yeah, it's it's one of those. Yeah. He's one of those actors who doesn't get enough appreciation for being able to just because every character he does sounds the same. You've got an iconic voice. Yeah, it's not going to change, but every character he plays is different. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I, I think the one of the very few times that he had something different in that tenor that you're referring to is when when that the transfer slash bio bed starts to open up and he sits upright and he goes you're right <laughs> i believe you <laughs> yeah that was that was awesome it was that was the only time that, that stoner was not stone chill just awesome well he almost got taken over by <laughs> alien robots yeah. 
Mac takes Deke to task. This was great. And again, the pace of the show and the uh, total, just total kudos to the writing staff of Mac gets on Deke. There's no question. Mm-hmm. But then they move along. The, I, what, what I have just learned to appreciate about this show, especially with as many characters and story jerks into the embankment, is that they don't they don't let things linger ever. Right. And I didn't realize how how powerful that is until probably right here where you would think, okay, well, you know, when Max starts taking on Deke and really reaming him for what he did, then we'll and my sentence will be longer than how he was actually how long he was actually given any real talking to. And it's because you have to move on to the next thing. Well, right, yeah, and, you have no choice. Right. And I really appreciated that. What that helps engender there is the need to be hurried because hey we're gonna get shot at here soon Mm -hmm. (laughs) we just lifted up our skirt and everybody can see us so now what are we gonna do and so i again i appreciated the speed and the short attention span that was given to things to press on i I like that a lot yeah there's a a list of priorities and reaming deke is at the bottom because everything else is more important mac realizes that and just moves on so i'll i'll deal with you later but this isn't over Let's finish what we've got to take care of. Yeah. Going offensive. Uh, This was another jerk of the wheel that I absolutely loved. How many times have you been watching a television program where the good guys get caught with their pants down and now it's time to, oh my God, raise the shields and we've got to figure out how to figure this out. Well, instead of having to do that, they go on the offensive Mm. and they take it to the bad guys instantly. And again, I love that because it's a, it's a total departure. It's not your standard Friday night television affair, even though it wasn't on Friday night. But the, it's it's something completely different. It, it's it's taking it to them, and I don't think we see that nearly enough inside of television programming. Well, this is the first time they've been able to do that this season. If you look at the show as a whole, or or even the organization of Shield itself, they're very reactionary. Mm, fair. Only a handful of times are they preemptive when things are go- when, when they have the intel to infiltrate something or get ahead of it and stop it before it happens. But we don't get to see a lot of that, and we haven't been able to see a lot of that in this show because all over the place. Here, it's we have been reacting to what the Chronicoms are doing and trying to fix things. Now it is time. You have to go on the offensive. If you don't go on the offensive, more people are going to die. The problem is, is that it's too little, too late. But they don't know that until the end of the episode. Yeah, it's it's wonderfully crafted. And again, I I love it when when a force will make a decision and then act, mm. and then we we get to be cage side to watch. And that's exactly what happens inside this episode. I thought that was great. The difference between bogey and hostile in regard to flying objects. I think, yeah, it was last week that we started talking about the uh, the speed of missiles in regard to a little bit of, well, it wasn't you, but it was me, but it was Nick picking, where somehow things are flying faster than missiles when in reality nothing flies faster than a missile. It's usually between four and five times the speed of sound. And uh, inside of this one, we're talking about the actual vocabulary words that are used for uh a flying object either of unknown origin, mm-hmm. i.e. a bogey, or a hostile, which in this case, it is hostile because it just blew up Project Insight. <laughs> and 
True. And so it, it's a yeah. uh, it, it's it's one of those things that you'll see inside of movies and television shows where everything that's flying, including the original Iron Man, they do that a lot there too, where they've identified that the thing is probably hostile and not a bogey, an unknown flying object. Look, it's a bogey. When any time the the needle switches and it flips to hostile, it's a hostile. It's no longer a bogey. So it's just a little bit of flight and uh, air combat maneuver vocabulary that I thought I'd share with everyone. So for all of the dummies in the room, like myself, (laughs) as long as they don't fire on you, it's a bogey. But once they fire, you're a hostile and you remain a hostile until they blow you up. Or you blow them up. If you're the bad guy firing on the good guy, you want the good guy to win. <laughs> True. Are, are, are we the bad guy? Prepare yourself for extreme G's. <laughs> this is great from Enoch. And I, I giggle because I saw yet another grand air-based video, this time with the Air Force Thunderbirds. Mm-hmm. And there is a, there's a gentleman that has a, a science-based podcast the name of which escapes me, but it's something like learn something every day. It's something like that. Anyway, it came up inside my um, feed for my YouTube watching Ness. Mm-hmm. And I and I clicked on it because like, ooh, Thunderbirds, kick ass. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and, you know, you think, uh, okay, well, the front end of it's going to be, oh, this guy gets to fly with the Thunderbirds. And so you're going to have the incredibly inspiring music with him doing slow-mo for some GoPro stuff with the pilots walking up to the jet and him jumping into the jet and then the jet careening to and fro inside of the skies and just all kinds of awesome in the sun and all kinds of cool angles. And he's just like, yeah, baby, get some. It's none of that. <laughs> it's a, it, this, this guy had prepared for months to go and fly with, with the Thunderbirds. And he was in a jet that's called the T-38 for the people that have any knowledge about flight stuffs. The T-38 is essentially the trainer for test pilots for astronauts and anybody that's test flying airplanes, they often get in the T-38. And the T-38 does all kinds of extreme stuff. It's it's traditionally an extraordinarily hard plane to fly. And so you really have to have your game on to fly the plane. Right. Much less be in the plane while somebody's flying it. And so he did that. He did that for a couple of months and he got ready. I was like, man, I got this. If I can do what's going on in the T-38, it's just the Thunderbirds. Well, he gets inside the Thunderbird, and this is kind of where the content creator in me came out. And I'm like, you have every power of editing ever in front of you. And so if you were going to show somebody your your jaunt, your one shot, because it's not like, oh, well, I'll do it next week, Thursday. You're going to show somebody your one shot with the Thunderbird. You're going to make it awesome. You're going to make it like you are the man. You are the you are the seventh Thunderbird. You know, you are you're the extra guy that they couldn't possibly do without. Yeah. Well, he doesn't do that at all. He eats the biggest piece of humble pie I've ever seen in a long ass time. And knowing how many people follow him inside of his YouTube channel, watching someone that says the words humbled by force and then the story that follows it. It's tremendous. And the reason I thought of that is because of what goes on here. Because Enoch screams out to everybody, prepare for extreme G's. And, hey, spoiler alert for those of you that want to watch this. It's linked up in the show notes. So hit pause and go watch that from the show notes quick. But for those of you that just want to shut up and listen, listen. So inside that video, there's a series of maneuvers that are planned. The big one is the 9G maneuver. Okay, 
I, I know you guys know what 1G is. Your experience, or at least most of you, are experiencing it right now. It's the weight of gravity on planet Earth. You and I are now experiencing 1G. And as you do things and fly around in an airplane, the G's, the, the, the gravity, the force of gravity, increases depending on what you do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they do some different maneuvers and they show all of it. And then they get into a 7.2G maneuver. And not a good day. He doesn't vomit, doesn't get sick, but he just, like, nothing is working right after that. And for a guy that was so incredibly confident at the front end of it, that was so very interested in being the next seventh Thunderbird that's live with the rest of the crew, to watch him eat this giant piece of humble pie is so enlightening. Mm -hmm. Because it really does show you, and he even talks about it later on, that, you know, confidence is great. But confidence will kill pretty quick. Being able to remember to be humble and to include humble inside of what you're doing, no matter what it is, is always a good thing. Anyway, it's a, it's a phenomenal video. We'll link up to it inside the show notes. And I loved this piece where we not only get Enoch saying, uh, prepare for extreme G's, but then we get another set of wonderful visuals with the flares being shot off the, the ass end of the Zaflorian. It, it It's phenomenal work. And we'll be right back to the Extreme Jeeth Podcast. <laughs> Daisy and Nathaniel meet. Again. Wow. Th- th- this is wonderful. Because they have painted Nathaniel as such a douchebag. <laughs> I mean, like, wonderfully. Just, I, it's so short. But it's so sordid. And it's like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he is it, not a great human being. You would think, I mean, his last name is Malik, so it's not like it's not like the gene of being a good person skips a generation where the Malik family is concerned. Right, right. especially the environment that probably he was raised in, etc. So anyway, I, I, I love the scene that's portrayed inside of this because it just, it instantly paints, again, more of the, more of the costs and the peril that we're looking forward to, and it's coming real soon. Not only that, but it's firmly directed on a character that we all really enjoy. Oh, yeah. And, of course, and Sousa by association. Whitehall once again called into question. That's something that's much deeper. And then the experimentation beginneth. Wow. In just a handful of minutes. Yes. And the dialogue is brilliant. You get everything you need to know about Nathaniel Malik by him explaining what he plans to do. He he gives just a small wave of the paintbrush of his life for Daisy and Sousa. Yeah, you know, I tried a little of this. I tried a little of that. But nothing really stuck until I found out about, oh, powered people. Well, that sounds fun. You are a sick, twisted son of a bitch. Yeah. You are yeah. a Malik. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you might actually be the most dangerous Malik out there because you're not even trying to have a nice controlled environment and run tests. It's like, I'm going to steal some blood, some fluid, some glands, and I'm just going to put them in me and see what happens. Yeah. You're nuts. Not only nuts, just the instant sociopathic yeah. showcase that is put on here. I, I thought it was brilliant. This I, was I, a, I really a mustache twirling bad guy, 
and we don't get a lot of those on this show. But I gotta say, it, it was nice to have a mustache twirling bad guy because it was something different. Oh yeah. Well, not only that, he was mustache twirling, comma. And then a series of spaces where the words hadn't been added in yet. <laughs> what right. an asshole. I yeah. mean, just outright. L.M. Coulson begins the info dump. It would be pretty simple. Just take your face off. And this is something I'm, I'm, I'm glad they didn't do this, but I'm like, if, if the trouble was he's not believing you, well, no problem. Dink! You break off the cuffs and you like... <coughs> You just pop your face off and, and then you pop the face back on. And yes, now do you believe that I'm a well, robot right? From the but future? we really don't know if, if L.M. Coulson's face does that. <laughs> I'm sure there's some part of his right. body to where he could go, hey, you want to see my chassis? Here you go. Yeah, or and he opens up a hatch or whatever. Or, you know, yeah. like like a, a little panel in his yeah. forearm. Yeah, yeah, like like, right. Luke, like Luke from Empire Strikes Back. Y yes, something like that. Uh, but it would have been fun if he just goes. And he, and, he, and, he, and he pie shells his face. I think that, that would have been interesting. I think, I think we, were, were danger, we would be dangerously stepping into like Westworld type territory. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. And, yeah, and maybe right. they you're didn't right. want to do something like that. Plus it makes, it makes the rest of the episode flow more if Stoner yeah. continues to. In the up direction. You're right. right. You're yeah. right. If yeah. you had that here, it would, it would totally lopside the episode. You're right. You're right. May is a Chronicom detector. Kick ass. Time to showcase her ass around the entire room before anybody talks to anybody. <laughs> yeah. What I really love here is that they've gingerly painted her newfound superpower so that on the front end, it's just out of control and, oh my God, panic attack. Then as it starts to wear on, she understands what it is. Okay, check. Mm -hmm. That was a couple episodes ago. And now the last two episodes, she's coming more into her own series of understanding her power. Right, evolution of powers. Yeah, and I appreciate that. It's not an instant snap of, okay, I'm nobody yesterday, and hey, look, I can break people in half. Right. And I appreciate that. Uh, that's something that we've talked about not only in character development, but just in if you're going to power somebody at all. I remember us talking about this with Daisy, I think, too. We were talking about her gauntlets and the, the evolution of the, the concept of the gauntlets mm -hmm, yeah. and what they do and all that. I think it's incredibly valuable. And I think it's showcased wonderfully here with May's powers to be able to be empathic. I, I dug that a lot. Yeah. Well, it also it also adds an even creepier level to the Chronicom's plan because now they've learned to mimic human emotion mm. through conversation. May says that wasn't an agent. That's a Chronicom. I got nothing off of her, but she was expressing emotion. They can't fake emotion. And then the light bulb moment for Colson because Colson doesn't want to believe it. May said, no, she's a freaking Chronicom. You need to believe me. And he finally got, Oh, that's what, that's what lead Chronicom cop guy meant on the train back in the 1950s they're evolving they have found a way to transfer the personality of the person into the chronicom so that they can now 100 percent fool anybody except for melinda may because of her new superpower so rewinding all the way back to episode one of this season you kind of think hmm so why are we doing this this seems strange, especially for our final season. And then here come episode six. Oh, this works out beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. 
and again, the, the the placement and the 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 sliding into the powers, where she she knows how to manipulate them now, but she's still not super proficient. But she knows them enough that she can call things into question and start gauging things. Right. I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate that a lot. Um, more missiles. This was interesting too. I I guess there's only one volley of missiles that's made available from. The lighthouse slash the defensive post that fired missiles at the Zephlorian. Because after the Zephlorian dumps every flare known to humankind in the skies above the lighthouse, we'll just fire some more missiles, dude. Mm. I, I realize it's a part of the storytelling where we've just moved on and we're not going to worry about that right now. And the pace of the episode was enough that you don't really think about it, but no no defensive base has three missiles or whatever was fired at the, at the Zephlorian. They have more missiles. Right. <laughs> and they would have fired them instantly after the first two didn't make it. Well, I, I think it has more to do with the fact that when the Zephlorian got damaged, they landed. And everybody at the lighthouse thought they crashed. So so maybe hey. that maybe it had something more to do with they thought that they had already taken care of the problem yeah. instead of doing overkill. I don't know. Yeah. This is also, I, I think, another really great schooling of how to do, oh my God, you've killed the agents thing that was completely missing inside of the most recent Star Wars film mm. where, spoiler alert, everybody thinks that Chewie gets murdered slash killed by Ray who's holding onto the ship and then it explodes because of Palpatine lightning fun. <laughs> when in reality, he's not dead, just a bunch of idiot stormtroopers and the pilot are dead. Right. That's not how you do it. This is how you do it. And it was done expertly. Yeah, I've seen better fake outs in other movies. That that one was kind of like, why are you trying to make trick? Why are you trying yeah. to trick us? Because we all know yeah. Chewie ain't dead. Yeah, sure. Ray we we Chewie. know Got for it. a fact Check. Chewie ain't dead. I've seen him <laughs> yeah. in trailers <laughs> that with other characters that, that haven't, haven't happened yeah. in this movie yet. <laughs> so guess what? You ain't fooling nobody. A partial vehicle jump. Because of shields, shields. This is another, I, I usually hate it when they go, oh yeah? We'll take this as some sort of barrier to success. I usually hate it when, when television shows do that. This one was brilliant though. Because it weaves directly into the storytelling of what we've already been given that we kind of take as a for granted thing. Like, okay, at the end of 43 minutes, it's going to be time to jump again. Right. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> So this is great, adding in this X-Factor here that's based on a portion of the ship not having shields made available. Instantly amps up the peril for the episode and then glides perfectly into what they're doing with, we'll talk about it here in a minute, the, the programmed amnesia mm, yeah. of of what's going on with Gemma. And it is phenomenal here. I love that. Yeah, it's also a great way of giving all of your characters, because we're all spread out now, it's giving all of your characters something vital to do yeah. instead of yeah. just, okay, so we're going to have three characters just kind of cooling their ship. heels. Yeah. Right. Just wait on the ship. Back Monitor the, the radio. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, goody. Monitor duty. Yeah. Whoop -de oh, so what? I'm, I'm classic Ohura now? Thanks. <laughs> Gemma's memory continues to fade. This is great. Far too often inside of television programs like this one, they'll have something that begins to fail. And by the time something happens, 
It's excruciatingly stupid. Mm. We don't get any of that here. Ever. Between the, the, you're not entirely sure what the hell Enoch is doing to her. Yeah. You're not entirely sure what she wants Enoch to be doing to her. You have no idea what Deke thinks he's witnessing. And you have no idea if he's just murdered Enoch later on inside the episode. <laughs> right. Well, it, it never has a chance to stagnate and get stupid. And again, it's a it's a master's class in writing. Yeah. It, it really is super well done. It's one of those examples of... I, I always bring up the show Lost mm. when, when the subject of giving your audience answers to questions that have been dangling for episodes if not seasons, seasons. yeah and yeah. lost was a horrible freaking show when it came to that because every week and i i stuck with the show for the thir- first two and a half seasons and i had to pull the ripcord in season three halfway through season three because mm-hmm. at the end of every episode the promo for next week would be next week secrets revealed questions answered and i'm like Ooh, I wonder which secrets are revealed and what questions will be answered. And you watch the next episode, and not a fucking thing gets dealt with. <laughs> yeah. And then the very and the no next answers. and next the next <laughs> promo for the you know the promo for the end of that episode. Next week, questions revealed, secrets answered. No, no, <laughs> I am not playing this game with right. you anymore. Yeah. I'm gone. Yeah. And then of I, course everybody says. Oh, dude, you left right at the. Oh man, it, it got really great out. right there at yeah. the at the end of season three, in through three, season four. That was the best. And I'm like, well, guess what? Had it been good in season three, I would have stuck with it. And I have never had the desire to go back yeah, and revisit that. Lost. Yeah. I, I got to the end of I got to the beginning of season two, and it's whatever episode where it's Jack, the the Korean dude. And the black guy, they get on a ship or a boat, yeah, and they jet off into the fog. And I'm like, "That's it, ripcord, man. I can't do this." Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I kind of wish this. I would have. I would have jumped out earlier as as well. <laughs> Here, though, we get answers. Uh, we were talking about it in the previous episode. Gemma's got the red dots on her back. What What the hell is that all about? Yeah, we get no answers. And here in the next episode, we finally get some, uh, we not even some answers. We get the full shebang for this oh, yeah. one. Yeah, I'm so appreciative because with a shorter season, you can't dangle things and expect people to wait around for answers. Mm-hmm. You've got to move. Yeah. The pace of your show, the entire show, has to speed up when you have 13 episodes as opposed to, 22 because we gotta make it last Mm -hmm. let them let them beg for it no this show has never fallen into the lost formula Mm -hmm. of we're going to tease you with something but not even bring it back up for 17 episodes Mm -hmm. and i really appreciate the fact that this show treats us like they want us to enjoy the damn show yeah they want us to come back every week without saying guess what next week secrets revealed <laughs> questions answered yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a wonderful teeter-tottering that happens inside this show inside of every episode where there are questions there's, yeah. no, there's no doubt that there's questions in fact there's even more questions that are postulated at the end of this episode that i mean like you have no idea what's going to happen at the end of this right. episode. yeah but everything that's been given to us inside this episode 
is a shovel full of satisfaction mm-hmm. that gives us something so that we're ready and willing to deal with what's going to be given to us at the end of this episode, propelling us into the next episode. Exactly. And it's and propelling us into the next episode yeah. because we trust this show that they are going to give us answers in the next episode. Yeah. Mac meets his parents and finds some boundary breakdowns. This is great. Because, again, depending on the relationship you have with your mother, there she is when you were 10 or whatever the, the cool number is going to be. Right. And I thought that that was great. I also love that it's not milked. There's just that and then the, the kind of little awkwardness that Mac has realizing that he's standing in front of his parents. Yeah. When he should have never been standing in front of his parents. The awe. There's enough awe there that it's not ever that kind of saccharine piece of what uh, even, you know what, Marty McFly never did it either. But they were able to showcase it inside of Back to the Future because that's the whole that's the whole kitsch of that movie. Yeah, well, right. Is that, right. hey, I'm standing in front of my mom and dad. I can't believe I'm standing in front of my mom and my dad. Yeah. And th- they give you just enough of the awkward, I don't know how to react to this, especially after the almost hug. I, I thought it was tremendous. I thought it was incredibly well done. One thing that has been consistent where Mac's character is concerned, he is he is a, a tower of strength, total stonewall, but when you introduce family into the mix, he falters. He beca- oh, yeah. you, you get to see that human side of yeah, him. Yeah, it, it's his kryptonite. There's no question. Right, it, it's, right. It's Mac's kryptonite. It was his kryptonite the moment that he saw them in the view screen. Mm-hmm. And it's still impacting him. It's impacting him throughout this entire episode. I think it's really, really well placed. We'll remove your face immediately, sir. This is brilliant. This whole play with Patrick Warburton slash Stoner inside the elevator with intern Chronicom number 17. Just balling. Absolute, just awesome. I absolutely love this scene. Yeah, there's. it it was great pacing because it's intercut with... May and Coulson's conversation. It's intercut with everything else and uh, the tension. The uh, This episode specifically has great pacing because ex- with the exceptions of a handful of moments, it never lets up. Yeah. You're almost it's, bombarded it's constantly. Yeah. yeah. And then they give you just enough time to catch your breath, and then you're right back at it again. Yeah. It, unrelenting absolutely fits this episode. It, it There is never a time where you're not somehow dialing up. The knob on the burner continues to turn clockwise, and it's so well received. Mac has daddy issues that are wonderful. There is a repartee here. There is a, for any of you that had any kind of a an adult conversation with your dad where you knew there were things you could say to each other where it's not that you could quite finish each other's sentences Mm. but it's where you realize that the things that you're saying are the things that your dad said and i don't i'm not talking about get off get off the couch god damn it that's not (laughs) what i'm talking about i'm talking about the like when when somebody's talking to you and it matters and then you realize that where you've heard those things before was from your dad right there's so much of that inside this episode, and I don't even know if they meant to convey that. But that really struck me inside this episode a number of times. I feel they did mean to convey that because it adds that extra twist of the knife by the end of this episode. Mm. 
Well said. Again, the 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 amping up, the the the, clock, the clockwise turning of the knob, that is absolutely a piece of it. You're absolutely right. Colson and May save Stoner. Stoner is still cool as a cucumber. I believe you. <laughs> and that's it. And, and that's, the that's rest really it, the the rest of it is delivered like, in true Stoner oh, fashion. These 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 people were my colleagues. They were my friends. And, and again, delivered just in the same in the same thing. It's horrible because you know the people that you know they're dead. <laughs> but it's like he was ordering a chicken salad for lunch. <laughs> yes, there's no question about that. And at first I thought it was weird, and then I'm like, well, wait a minute, that's him. Yeah, that that's the character. <laughs> that's the character. That's the character. And it was great. I really enjoyed that. But we also get this great fight scene with Elm Coulson and May taking down the the two Chronicoms. <laughs> yeah. Where where we got just what 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 was that a, a screwdriver straight into the head of the female Chronicom? <laughs> I'm not Holy certain. crap. Yeah, but it's it's out of right field to, to be literal <laughs> and it is it's delicious. All of it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Nathaniel wants to evolve. Wow, this is great. And I think the best part of this is as you're watching him become even more of a maniacal asshole, mm. and you can see the gear, the evil gears just grinding away in his head, what you instantly start to remember is, yeah, that whole thing of about becoming powered, that was not fun for Daisy at the beginning of it at oh, all. Oh, no. <laughs> like, nothing. Nothing was good. It wasn't no. like, hey... Check out my kick-ass biceps. I'm powered now. Yeah, being becoming an inhuman <laughs> was never a walk in the park. <laughs> no, for for non pure blood inhumans. Right, and that that's the other key part of this is that she was built for this to right. happen. Right, she's to her. got it in her DNA to where it would activate. <laughs> he's stealing. He's it. A, he, well, he but he's just a dude. Yeah, he's he's a normal it's, dude who's trying to steal <laughs> that power. Ain't nothing going to go right yeah, it, for him. It's like taking the V12 engine and shoving it in a Yugo. Where it, how could this possibly end up right? Right, yeah. The story of Mike Stevens and a lap. This was fun. This is, again, our opportunity to get a little bit of background knowledge and the perspective of what Sousa is bringing to the story. Mm-hmm. This was really, really good. I, I, I really enjoyed all of this. This repartee that shared the emotion that is shared in such a very short story that to just about anybody doesn't really mean much. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a dude. I knew the dude. We were in war together. I got hurt. He was the guy that helped save me, and then he was dead too. There's your There's your painting the picture, but he does it so wonderfully inside this reasonably short scene. Again, it's it's that time for Seuss to shine, and man, does he. Yeah, it's also where I feel his decision, because if you remember in the previous episode, he was done. Oh, he yeah. was going to help them finish this, this mission where they would stop Project Insight, and then he was going to stay in th- that particular time and just, you know, d- do his thing. Because mm-hmm. uh, he, he didn't want to do this anymore. He'd, he'd go find Gray's sports almanac or something. Right. And I feel like... This is the 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 point where he finally makes that connection with Daisy as a comrade in arms mm-hmm. to where by the end of the episode when he's he's offered the chance again it's like it, it, now's your chance I mean if, are, are you sure you want to stick with it and he's like, yeah I'm 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 in for the long haul and it's because he has finally made that connection with Daisy mm-hmm. 
and it I, I don't look at it as a a man and woman physical attraction. I look at it as the emotional bonding that two people in the shit form. Yeah. And and for the two of them, it, it, it makes sense that the two of them would have that connection because if you think about it, Daisy became somebody very much like Peggy Carter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I think even, I can't believe I'm saying this, but even more than Peggy Carter because ding, 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 she's powered. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, kudos, and I will never take anything away from Peggy Carter, right. but what she's missing is superpowers, mm -hmm. at least until the What If series. This is true. What in the hell is going on with Enoch and Simmons' neck? This is great. The, the, the tenor that this is presented in, again, it's this little triumvirate of you don't actually know what's going on. One. Deke has no idea what's going on, but none of it looks good. Yeah. Nothing. Uh, alien pod thing with a graphic of what looks like it's Jim's head. Okay, not good. Why is Enoch holding this device to the back of her neck? Not good. Yeah, it looks like there's some sort of image of a miniaturized version of the those robot things from the Matrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inside of her head doing something. Yeah. And it brings up all kinds of questions. Is Gemma a Chronicom as well? Has Enoch turned? Should we be or right there been, with... Or has it been commandeered over the years and we just don't know it? Right, because he, he has been acting a little bit differently. But mm -hmm. again, I, I write that off as he's not taking any more crap because I am an important member of this <laughs> yeah. team, damn it. I'm not just a tool. Yeah. That you can yeah. leave for 40 years yeah. on a shelf. And, and something in the uh, in the show notes, I didn't address that. We may as well address that here. I love that there is a formal apology moment inside of this from Deke to Enoch. <laughs> yes. It really does mean a lot. It especially does. to the writers that wrote it, it's such a small nothing. But thank you for the small nothing. Right. Because there are far too many times, especially in scripted television, where somebody that is completely unappreciated and shat on during an entire episode, if not a whole season, if not a whole series, where they just go and it's meant to be an unsaid thing of, you know, we love you, kid. And the words that never appear are, I'm sorry. Right. And it's so great to see something so real as an apology here from Deke to Enoch. It really does make it, it really does mean something. The only thing that means something more is the look that grandma is given to Deke <laughs> to get it done. Yeah. Just brilliant. I absolutely love that. I didn't put it in the show notes. Thank you for reminding me of that. That, that, that was tremendous. It was all fantastic. Talking Tech times two. All right, so the first Talking Tech we're going to have is obviously that graphical illustration of whatever in the hell is going on inside of Gemma's head slash neck slash body. Yeah. Because it was brilliant. It was it was understated. It showed exactly what needed to be shown. There wasn't anything gooey or gross about any of it. And it shows exactly what needs to be shown. And and it's so simple. Oh yeah. It's so simple. The actor that plays Enoch has a probe on the back of her head. And as the camera pans left to go up to the screen, oh, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's so stupid simple. And so all the programs that want to somehow use CGI to make all this cool stuff happen inside of a show, you don't have to do any of that. Right. 
this is done so incredibly wonderfully with so little more than any just stagecraft mm-hmm. yeah. as long as you've got the screen that's showing what's supposed to be inside of Gemma's neck slash body and you've got this the, the camera that's appropriately placed that then pans over and just looks at what's happening yes check check and check mm-hmm. talking tech our number two talking tech inside of this is L.M. Colson finding the hunter pods which we've already looked at but then also tendrilling into Sybil's head. I don't know what else to call it because you put your hands in it. Now you're in Sybil's head. And I really appreciated this because again, just like the, the stupid simple camera pan with Enoch and this view screen, this is nothing. This yeah. is them being shown in a white light room. That is a white light room. There's mm-hmm. nothing else that room nothing does. Nothing else there. It generates white light and there's cameras in it and people. And that's it. That's all that room does. And they use the raw form of it as wherever the hell this is inside of Sybil's head. And it's perfect. There's two things I took from this. One is it's kind of like the Borg Queen where there's a, there's an, just an omniscient presence. Yeah. And if you're jacked in, then you're jacked in. And hello, how are you? The other thing I got was as much as I hated it, like red hot hate, the supreme intelligence from Captain Marvel. That It's that. Where there is an interface and there is this thing that's kind of a supercomputer-esque thing. Don't get me started on on (laughs) the Supreme Intelligence because if if they actually would have done any kind of frickin' research, uh, the Intelligence Supreme in the comic books is so visually remarkable to where why the hell would you not have something like that represented in your big-budget movie? But again, this is not the... Rip on Captain Marvel podcast. Right. But yes, essentially it is very much the 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 same, I would think, the same getup, the same yeah. the same situation. And what I liked is that as much as I red hot hated what happened in Captain Marvel with that, I didn't hate any of this. Right. I think it's it's terribly appropriate. It's super expedient, gets the job done, and then we keep moving. Mm-hmm. And the whole keep moving part of what happens inside this episode, that's what needs to happen inside of television and movies way more often. That's what we ask you guys. We just went over a couple of great talking tech moments inside this episode. What was your talking tech moment for this episode? Season 7, Episode 6, Adapt or Die. Let us know what you think by going to our website over at agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and let us know what you think. The tree-grown anachronism. (laughs) Smells like the architect. One of the only pieces of this episode where I got the, wait a second, what's going on here, is when they're in Sybil's brain, talking to Sybil, and L.M. Coulson, and, or uh, digital L.M. Coulson, however he's jacking in, that works perfectly, whatever, with all the technology is, and, and talking to Sybil, whatever the technology she's jacking in, whatever, how that works. And then comes the tree growing statement that I did not write down and I really, really should have. Because what the tree growing moment sounded very much like was the moment that you and I both hate from the Matrix movies when we meet the architect. (laughs) Because it started smelling a whole lot like it, dude. Like They're just going to go, oh, so that's why there's this incredibly white room with with a squared off floor. What? The tree conversation didn't bother me at all because the oh, way wow. oh, it didn't because <laughs> the way she explains it to L.M. Coulson about how she 
Because he asks, he's like, so you predict the future? No, I see the past. I see the past of one timeline. But I can also see the timelines that could have been. And that was where the tree analogy came into it. It's, I see the tree, but then I can also see where if one branch was cut off, what the new branch would look like. Mm. And I'm like, okay, that's a much better scenario than the first half of season one where they were going up against <laughs> the clairvoyant yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was just some guy yeah. well i mean it was bill paxton and his <laughs> character and it was just a computer program that told them the probability of things that were happening yeah which made it seem like somebody could predict the future yeah for those that have forgotten i just wanted to quote a little bit of the architect speech. oh let's Okay, fine. I'm going I'm going I'm running to the bathroom then. The first matrix I designed was quite naturally perfect. It was a work of art, flawless, sublime, a triumph equaled only by its monumental failure. The inevitability of its doom, it's apparent to me now, was a consequence of the imperfection inherent in every human being. Two words. Programmed amnesia. Wow. To actually have a device placed in your head that lets you remember specific things but not remember others. Holy crap. <laughs> yes, holy crap. Holy it, crap. Yeah. That that is sci-fi gold right yeah, there. It is it is spectacular brilliance of of the Marvel's Agents of Shield kind. And I heart program amnesia. I, 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 I don't have the words to tell you how impressed I was by this because the, the breakdown that Gemma gives is so succinct. Yeah. Everything that the architect is toilet water. <laughs> this is, it, it, it's chocolate ganache on a delicious donut. It's just perfectly well placed. Stabbing through clothes and thud. This is fun. Again, Sousa has collected the piece of steel that Daisy has plunged into her hand so as to give him a tool with which to escape the confines of the not-so-friendly barn. Was it steel or, 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 or glass? I hope it I mean, was it looks, steel. It looked sharp, so I mean, yeah, I mean that, that really, that's really all that, that matters. Her hand. Right. Yeah. It was something really, really sharp. It just wasn't really, really long. And I don't think that it would have stabbed anybody through any clothes to any degree of, oh, my God, you're going to kill me, especially if I'm a special agent of anything. Eh. So so I, I wasn't sold on that, mostly because it didn't, like, plunge into his neck. Or, you know, obviously we can't have, look at all the bloody blood inside of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. program on a, on a Wednesday night. I, 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 I get it, guys. Well, the, the, the body blows got the got him away and i saw susa did some kind of a move towards his his throat mm. that i thought was the the quote-unquote killing blow that made him drop but because everything is shot from behind you don't see the blood and we don't we don't need to see the blood right right and the guy just goes thud yeah well he goes thud because he knocks him out with what though his, with hand? his hands yes his hand uh, I, th I thought he still had the the thing in his hand though oh right but he strikes he strikes the dude sideways with his hands, whether or not the the, okay, the, the I thought he killed sharpie, sharpie, him. Sharpie, I thought he killed him to get away. Okay, well, I and I see, I would have, 
Like, what what are your choices here, dude? Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> are you going to be the next one that gets stuck in the chair and and skewered and gland removed and whatever the hell yes. else is going yes. on? Yes, yes, he is. Right. And so, time to killy kill with stabby stab weapon. <laughs> I yeah. mean, like, doesn't get any more play. Maybe I'd have to go back and rewatch the episode and see that scene again to see if he actually, if it was a killing blow or if yeah. he just knocked him out. Yeah. Oh, and actually, that's a great call to the audience. How exactly did Sousa eventually dispatch this bad guy that was featured here? Let us know what you think you remember while you were viewing this episode. <laughs> Go on over to our website over at agentsofshield.tv, fill out the quick web form, and tell us what you think. Be sure to make sure that you let everyone know if Nick is wrong. <laughs> You're reading my mind. You must be empathic. I'm an inhuman. Right. The second thing uh, that I wanted to refer to here is that thudding. Obviously, he knows his stuff because to take both of your hands and knock somebody out is not an accidental thing. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, again, I love seeing that. I love seeing that there is skill set inside of Special Agent Sousa. That kicks ass. My bones! What a boner. Man, this is great because you and I both knew this, what, 18 minutes ago? Yep. And we knew it was coming. We didn't know that we might have seen it in this inside of this episode, but as we said, becoming inhuman was not fun for anybody. You and <laughs> we we only see an overshot of quote the body, so I'm not going to call him dead yet. Right? Yeah. We don't know. We it's, just it's a don't comic know. Book show, and enough things have happened to enough people inside the program to know that you know we haven't seen his body splintered into a million pieces. Although that really isn't the end either, apparently. This was tremendous. It doesn't get any... Again, it's stupid simple, too, because he just kind of... He does the whole Fred Sanford claw hand thing, and he just goes, my bones are breaking, dude, or whatever he says. Right. And it's 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 wonderfully done, and then all hell breaks loose inside the whole scene. I thought that was great. Sybil is an info dump jukebox. <laughs> this is great. L.M. Colson is just over there... Milking away for answers and, and intel and information, and Sybil's like, "You got it, buddy," and just starts spilling the beans on anything that he asks. She doesn't see there any threat to answering his questions. Uh, and I thought that that was incredibly tremendous. What that leads us then to is the three things speech. This is another piece of what makes the MCU great. Because they can take golden bits like this and tuck it into the storytelling of characters that I don't think are just heroes, but characters that we dearly love. That they've given this speech to, well, it is L.M. Coulson. It's still Coulson. It's it's the total Coulson. This is a Coulson scene, yeah. which we haven't gotten yet this season y until now. Yeah. And, and this is spellbinding. This is where somebody sat down and goes, okay... We need the speech of Phil Coulson, Ellen Coulson's life right now. What is it going to be? And they go, how about this? And they go, write that shit. And it is brilliant. It is, it's easily one of the most memorable pieces of this season. If not the series, I don't know. Again, we have no idea we're, where we're this is going. We're not done yet. Right. So, yeah, we're, we have no idea where this is going. But right. my God, what a brilliant move this speech is. This is a perfect example of why... Even though a lot of fans thought it was stupid to have the character of Phil Coulson be resurrected for a TV series, 
this is the reason why Clark Gregg playing this character, why he is so vital mm-hmm. to this show. Yeah. He is the heart of this show. He really is. In all of his his many forms, you know, we've had, you know, the stalwart agent. Then you had the the timid history teacher in the framework. Mm. Then you had the man who knew he was out of time. Then you got Sarge. And now you have Colson back, but he's he's not really Colson. But he is Colson. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the rub. No matter what happens to this character, it's Clark Gregg who makes you care about not only who he's playing, but the legacy of that character reaching all the way back to phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. There, there's a very interesting dual-edged sword that's featured here as well. For those that can remember, I think it's I think it's this season, but we've mentioned it several times inside of this and other programming. One of the things that made 9-11 so incredibly impactful is that while everybody was prepared for there to be something that happened eventually inside of the lexicon of American history that was seemingly unseen, horrible, incredibly memorable, and would have a lasting impact on American culture. Obviously, 9-11 did. Mm -hmm. But the X factor, what we never anticipated was people will kill themselves to kill us. Now, when you look at that and you look at the cone of what's going on inside of terrorism brain, you go, boy, those sons of bitches. Now, as it flips and skews into this other direction where it's featuring, in this case, L.M. Coulson, it instantly becomes an endearing trait because of self-sacrifice. Yeah. And that's what I love about being able to contemplate things like this is that we know who the good guys are. Yeah, right. And the good guys are going to sacrifice themselves. And here it is. Phil Coulson dies again. So once again, uh, he, he, he kind of jokes about it inside of the repartee. But he goes, you know, it's kind of my superpower. And it's so incredibly well said because he's totally right. This, this makeshift robot slash not quite Phil Coulson is totally right. Yeah. And he drops the bag in the middle of the room, grabs the remote control, settles himself, flips a switch, and done. It's so well placed inside this episode. I, I, don't, I really don't have words. Stoner. <laughs> Stony, chill as a cucumber, man. Everything is falling around him quite literally. <laughs> and he kind of saunters through the hallways, you know, wondering when I'm going to see my own face on a screen someplace. <laughs> it was brilliant. It, it was absolutely brilliant. Oh, wait a second. What did May detect on Stoner? Did you see that? Did you catch that? Oh, yeah. I have a feeling she picked up on his feelings for her. Mm. Because let's not forget, he wanted to, he still wanted to get her, her a drink. drink. I think, I think she felt a little swing. Right. Okay. Because she looked, she looked uncomfortable. Oh yeah. As she walked away, I, I, I feel. I, well, I, I know for a fact had, <laughs> had she known that he wasn't real, then she would have just, you know, snapped his neck and pulled his head off. But I think, I think it had more to do with, oh, Stoner wants to, do the horizontal mambo, <laughs> with Miss. 
Melinda May, and and she didn't know quite how to uh, to deal with those Except feelings, so she just over. walked away. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit! Your dad's a chronicom. Oh, that'll ruin your day. Nobody wants your dad to be a chronicom, but my God, it's Mac's dad. Yeah. So how about that? Uh, the only thing better here is that May is the one to detect it. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that that was tremendous. Again, to go back to the front end of the episode, okay, Belinda May walks in the room. Great. Everybody pause for a second and hold still. And she'll right. walk through the room and we're done. Then we're, then we're good. So that's very interesting. I, I hope that that somehow comes up inside of the next six, seven episodes what's left. Well, depending on if there are any Chronicoms left... Mm. LM Coulson might have destroyed everybody that was on Earth. Mm. We don't we don't know. Again, we have to wait until next week to find out the results. Yeah. But finding out that Max Dad is a Chronicom, that's that's kind of oh wow. Ooh, this is getting deep. This has got some layers. It's not until later in the scene that things really sink in to how bad things are. Yeah. <laughs> Double shit. They're both gone. All right, so your dad and, uh, oh, by the way, your mom are both chronicoms. Not a good afternoon. And they tell you that your parents have been gone for a while. Your parents are dead. Yeah. When they shouldn't have been. Right. And somehow you're still alive. Well, again, it's it's. I guess it's not back to the future two rules to where... Even though it's a deleted scene and we never saw it, when old Biff comes back from the past, giving the past Biff the sports almanac, when he comes out of the car and you know he's he's clutching his heart, it's looking like he has a heart attack. There's a continuation of that scene where he's now behind another vehicle, and he fades away from existence because that version of him doesn't exist anymore. Because now we're in the timeline of oh I of, gotcha. of evil okay. Biff. And Biff gets shot by Lorraine in that timeline to where he'd be dead. Mm. So that's why he faded away. But it was a deleted scene, if, unless you actually are watching the special features. Oh, that's you, amazing. I've never you, seen that. Yeah. Ever. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the handful of things that was cut from, from part two. Mm. But this, uh, again, this we, we have no idea how time is going to rework itself because now Mac is going to grow up without any parents at a young age which is going to completely change him. But it's going to change a different Mac because they've... I mean, again, like we said last week, the timeline's screwed. Oh, yeah. You well, know, the, again, the, to go back to the, the, the tree analogy that Sybil was talking about, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, is this going to skew into some sort of architect stuff? Because I don't get it. And th this is kind of another skewing where it doesn't really impact We're anything. tap dancing dangerously on the whole end game scenario of... Yeah. We've created an alternate timeline. How do we fix things to where it goes back to the regular timeline? And, and again, I could be wrong. The writers, I'm, I'm, I trust them. And we may be able to fix things by the end of this season. But as of right now, I don't see a way to fix anything. So I'm, I'm not only do I feel bad for Mac, but I feel bad for what's coming next for our characters. Because, again, we have no idea what to expect. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Mac feeling bad because the giant chocolate man did it to me again. 
Why am I bawling inside of the watch of this show? And it's because the actor's got me in his clutch of crying, man. That dude looks at all tearful, and I'm just I'm a I'm a bundle of man flesh, man. I'm just an, I'm, a, I'm such a loser. <laughs> it's he's so incredibly powerful when he's just depressed and sad. There is it's amazing. It, there is a a wonderful cocktail that is created when everybody knows what the hell they're doing when crafting any type of entertainment. First, you've got the scenario. So the writer has to have created that scenario. Mm -hmm. You have the actor who is working out that scenario. And that actor, if it's a high-caliber actor, being able to convey emotion to you without saying a word. Then you've got the production team who is working on the music that's in the background that is specifically designed to help elicit an emotional response that it goes along with that actor giving you that emotion and then the impact of all of that put together like i said it might it might taste a little salty because of all the tears but it is a perfect cocktail it is one of the reasons why me even the, even the most emotionally detached guy who does not like I don't. Oh no, Bambi died. Oh, but it's a freaking cartoon. Old Yeller died. Woof, dogs, woof. dogs die. He had to put him down. He had rabies. <laughs> you wanted him to suffer with rabies? Come on, guys, kill the poor dog. Yeah. Stuff like this. This can. This, shit like this will elicit an emotional response from me any day of the week. Yeah. I have cried more at this show over the past seven seasons than I have with with most te TV shows, except for maybe Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm. Talking Tech, the third time inside this episode. The Biobed and Daisy. This is tremendous, and the reason it gets mentioned is not because it's super ornate and, oh my God, look at the techie tech. It's because it's another piece of that inserted brilliance of absolutely straightforward simplicity. Mm -hmm. The bio bed, for those that didn't know what the hell you were looking at, is simply this pod. They make a pod, and then they have two lines of LED lights, and then a static light on the end that lights when the, when the line of LEDs reaches the end, and then that one illuminates, and then the order of operations for the lighting then inverts, and then it comes back. And lights, and then it goes back. And that's right. all it is. Yeah. That's all it is. So, again, it, it doesn't always have to be this high-tech stuff that's happening. Very often it can be something super simple. And this shot that I'm referring to is when they're painting the camera right, and they've got Sousa, who's next to the bio bed, obviously caring about what's going on with Daisy. Right. Daisy inside the bio bed, and then a couple of other characters. And that's it. There's nothing else going on in the scene except what you see. And it's super simple, but it absolutely deserved a talking tech moment because it is the literal semblance of talking tech. Yeah. What time period did the Zephlorian land in? Boy, it's a big question. It is. And we it, get no clues whatsoever. No, well, except for maybe the flowers that are showcased. I, I, and the reason, I, I, just bear with me, the reason I say something like that is that I think that the writers and the production staff might give us something as simple as look at this 
cascade of flowers that showcase because of whatever time we're going to be in. Now, obviously, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't see what they were looking at or what was showcased. All you botanists <laughs> listening to the program, reach out to us and tell us, is there something what significant about of? the flowers? Spock, do a scan quick and tell me what you think. Tell me all about the flowers. Yeah. I like the fact that we got no explanation yeah. of where they were at because we're too busy worrying about Mac. Oh, Mac I'm, just I'm jumps on I'm still he jumps on a chopper and Absolutely. drives away because he needs some he needs some air. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm wrecked because Mac is wrecked already. Right. So I I'm I'm kind of done for this episode. But as we get this zinger in the end, man, it's just it's it's super awesome. You know, he drives away and then we get the shield logo symbol so we might oh, oh, this is the last commercial break. So we're going to come back and we're going to get a couple more minutes of show, but then it, we're done. So so what happens? And then it happens. It's something you and I were talking about for the last couple episodes. Is like, you know, it's, it's, it's cool that everybody gets back on board because, man, if the ship ever jumped when everybody wasn't on board, that'd be a real bad day for humans. Guess what happens at the end of this episode? Deke... And Mac are left behind. behind. Enoch, like. And we have no idea where they were left behind at. And we have no idea where the Zephlorian went to. Yeah, no idea where the Zephlorian jumps to. Our human heroes, both from different times. Who who will age. (laughs) Yeah. Unlike Enoch. Right. And it's not like, hey, I know what we'll do. We'll grab the magic radio and we'll talk to them anyway. There is no magic there's, radio. There's no magic radio. There's and, no phone. There's and, no reference to where the hell they are at all, except the flowers. And, yeah, okay, so keep keep grasping at the flowers. The impact of this scene is written all over Mac's face because Mac doesn't care. Doesn't care at all. Mac's broken. Yeah, without question. This has broken him. Yes. Which, I know he hasn't been around since season one, but holy crap, five, five and a half seasons yeah. of this character being just that no matter what happens we will get through this and now just a just a broken man who is dealing with the loss of his parents and it's not even the end of their life like oh they they passed away in their sleep or they had some disease that comes with old age it's i had a life with my parents and now that life doesn't exist anymore i remember that life but i know that that life won't exist for another version of me and he's just, he's gone. Yeah. Well, I think what he's imagining is he's trying, not only is he broken, we know he's broken because, frankly, I'm broken watching him be broke. <laughs> <laughs> but what he's also, some of the stuff that's swirling around in his head is there is a version of me inside this timeline that has no parents to raise him from whatever age on, meaning that whatever he was able to glean from his parents from whatever age on now doesn't exist. Wow. Just huge wow. The ending music. We kind of just get the standard grade of ending music that's reasonably static and then it's over and then whatever was next to play on Hulu is ready and queued up and ready to go. Mm -hmm. So I think that's incredibly appropriate because there's nothing else to think about except Broken Mac and time for Mike Wilkerson to go get a box of freaking tissues <laughs> because he's a wreck watching the end of this show. We also had a very generic opening Front as end. well. Right. Mm-hmm. This may be the beginning of 
them telling us, you know, the production team telling us, okay, things are going back to whatever semblance of normal you want to grasp onto, mm. but maybe the, the time-traveling adventures are coming to an end and we're going to get to to see the them dealing with the repercussions of the time-traveling shenanigans. would be interesting if the next episode is Deacon Mac and their, their witness of a series of next years. I, yeah, I mean, Man. I don't know what to Again, expect. I, I, I just, I, I love it. I love it because, just as you just stated, I have no idea what to expect. Something that we really, really started pushing hard inside the last episode was, we have no idea what's coming. Zero. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. no, we have no idea. And if you didn't have any idea before this episode, you have no idea now. There is, no, you know, you have nothing. You have disappearing ship. And you got Deacon Max stuck in we don't know when with flowers. That's all we got. All right. All right. I share my box of tissues with everybody in the audience as we push to break during this episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, our complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, Season 7, Episode 6, Adapt or Cry. We'll be right back. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. For most, Friday the 13th means Jason Voorhees. What a lot of people don't know, however, is that there was another Friday the 13th, the television series. Join your podcast hosts, Mike and Nick, as they review the search for cursed antique goods during a perspective review of Friday the 13th, the series. It's the Curious Goods Podcast. Check it out now at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From the voice box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, it's our review of Season 7, the final season, Episode 6, Adapt or Die. 
Every time we come back from break, Nick and I crack open our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers. Our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers are where Nick and I either recognize an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element inside this episode, or something else that's tripped our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? I'm going to be greedy. Since there were three talking tech moments in this episode, <laughs> I'm going to have two dossier moments. Heretic! That's right. I play by my own rules. <laughs> Your rules. I am the Enoch of this <laughs> podcast. Prepare for maximum G's. My first dossier moment is I miss Fitz. Mm. We mm. are six episodes into this season. We are almost essentially halfway done with the season. Right. And no Fitz. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, I miss Fitz. So that's my first dossier moment. Great. My dossiers. Shut it. Oh, sorry. Shut it down. Sorry. I'll be my, over here blubbering in the corner of right. my next lost family again. That's, that's right. You you take those Kleenexes and you you, you just. <laughs> my second dossier moment is the more serious one. All right. The scene with L.M. Coulson and May in the interrogation room. Mm. Mm. That scene is the first time these two characters have actually had a conversation that lasted longer than a minute and longer than just three or four words to each other. Mm. We get so much insight from both L.M. Coulson and May in just this three, maybe three and a half minute scene where they finally talk about their conjoined elephants in the room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We get genuine emotion from May for the first time. And and genuine emotion. It's real. It's her emotions. Ellen Coulson even calls her out on it. And the fact that that anger stems from you always die and come back. It it makes mourning you horrible. And I don't want to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. It sums up their relationship from the past, the past handful of seasons once they realized that, you know, they had a thing for each other, that I just had to make sure that we talked about it here in my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier. I think those are a couple of spectacular dossiers. Thank you. And you're welcome for me allowing you to have two. Oh, I feel so privileged. <laughs> okay, my S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier inside this episode is really quite clear and is going to surprise nobody. The chocolate man crieth. Good God. It, it's so moving. And if that wasn't moving enough, then broken Mac at the end. I mean, like, what do you say? It what? takes you by surprise. The, the whole episode, his All whole arc in this episode just takes you by surprise. It, it, is, it is an amazing showcase of saying nothing. Mm-hmm. It is Mastercrafts. And we've talked about Henry Simmons acting previously. I, I, I don't even know how many times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but growing from this nondescript add-on, I don't really care about him, ah, the muscle-bound Hulk character of the series. That fixes things. Yeah, here's a wrench. Thanks, dude. Now get the hell out of the scene. To what we have now, where he is not only the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., not only is he the leader of our gregarious troop of awesome, he's now absolutely broken, sitting on a motorcycle, staring at flowers. I just, I love it. 
I absolutely love it. The arc that that Henry Simmons has given us with Mac, it, it it's I I can eat it with a fork. That's how thick it is. That's my shield dossier. That's where we ask you guys, what was your shield dossier for this episode, season seven, the final season, episode six, adapt or die. Ah, the rating inside this episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7, Episode 6, Adapt or Die. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the scale, saving General Stoner from face ripping off with badness. A 1 is on the bottom of the scale, finding out that both of your parents have been murdered almost simultaneously, leaving you with a crushed, broken childhood and dreams. Everything starts at seven as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick, there are no halvesies. What do you got, Nick? I don't think anybody <laughs> is going to be surprised at my You're, rating. If you give this a seven, I'm going to vault the desk. Uh, well, you know, don't hurt your hip because <laughs> it's not going to be a seven because this was anything but oh, an average episode. No, that question. I could sit here for another 10 minutes and go on about how incredibly daunting watching this episode was yeah. because it seemed like there were there were no moments to where you could actually take a breath and process what's going on. <laughs> Too true. And very rarely can you watch a show for a long period of time and still feel that giddiness of, ooh, it's time to watch the show. I don't have that feeling for anything else that comes on weekly. Mm -hmm. Folks, we've arrived. This episode, the first episode so far in this season, this is a 10. There is no debate. There is no waiting for something better to come along. Because here's the thing. We could wait for happy fun time stuff to come along and give it a 10 but right. this right here this episode had everything this episode in my opinion was flawless this is perfect television writing the acting the stagecraft and the pace all of it weaved together to form a glorious tree that spells the number 10 well, that's glorious. I don't know how to follow that up except with, I ready to tend to. <laughs> I mean, seriously. We, we, Nick and I have now waxed philosophic as we raw record this for almost two hours. And the, the, the gist is that this program giveth and this program taketh away. Yes. And I love it. I, I, love, the, I love the push and pull that this, this, this show gives me. And it, 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 the, the, knowing that it's in its crescendo... It, it instantly makes me makes me feel like I've been witness to something that was really, really extraordinary. And it empowers me to realize how many other shows I've watched that were absolutely worthless compar mm. in comparison. Yeah. The, the, the roller coaster ride of this episode is unmatched. There are many, many television shows that I would evoke as some of my favorites. Again, The Shield always pops up. Yeah. Because it is a roller coaster ride. But inside of one episode... No, nothing has ever happened, even in the most roller coaster ride like episode from The Shield. 
nothing like this. Mm. Nothing, nothing at all. That's high praise because, again, that's it's a completely different genre of dramatic television making. Yeah, this is a show about comic book heroes, guys. <laughs> so just a, a, a tremendous offering. Dual barreled tens here as we complete this episode, and that's where we ask you guys. What was your rating for this episode, Season 7, Episode 6, Adapt or Die? Let us know what you think by going over to our website, that's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us, what did you think of this episode? Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. thankful you were able to review this covert communication reviewing the most recent episode of marvel's agents of shield a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on abc be sure to tune in to our ongoing top secret communication with agents all over the globe via our facebook presence immediately facebook.com forward slash shield podcast to be the first to be made aware of agents of shield news the arrival of our newest reviews and more the agents of shield podcast a super show for fans of superheroes. Uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. End this top secret two guys talking communication. Sorry, I went on my no, my lost rant. That. That. Oh, that's all right. I, again, Fuck that show. <laughs> and and, and no, the thing that, that the thing that upsets me is J.J. Abrams was like, "Oh yeah, we know how this show ends." When they started it, no, that, that's no. a fucking lie. <laughs> that's you might have known how it ended if if you were only going to do four, maybe five seasons. But because it became such a juggernaut, and ABC wanted more and more fucking episodes, I can't even postulate the question. They get of off watching. the island and they have to go back. That's how one of the seasons ended. Jack's yeah. screaming at everybody. We have to go back. I vote no. I'm sure there's a an entertaining video on YouTube that would give you you know the overall the story. The breakdown. The breakdown. In five yeah. You know, lost all seven seasons in five minutes. <laughs>